Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, I always say you're in the right place, and we know it's true. Let's see what the buzz is. I found a quote uh, from CNN Money in an article on NASDAQ. You know what NASDAQ is, NASDAQ.com. Let's listen. While upgrading all 160,000 streetlights in Los Angeles with remote monitoring and smart controls will cost about $14 million, the city of Los Angeles is saving $8 million a year by switching to more energy-efficient LED bulbs. Hmm, something to chew on there. So what are we talking about? Digital communications and energy-efficient LED lighting are revolutionizing and transforming urban lighting infrastructures. How, why, where? Well, they're becoming information pathways with the capacity to collect and share data. Data, you know, is the new oil. We've said that many times. And offer insights that enable and drive the smart city. Yes, we're talking about a smart city topic today here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, I know many of you follow our smart city focused themed series, but we are moving this topic over here to Coffee Break because we thought so many of you in our biggest listening audience for Coffee Break would really appreciate these insights, whether you're a city leader, whether you're a visitor to different cities, whether you're a resident, whether you're a business owner, this is stuff you need to know. So the question on the table today is, is your city bright enough yet? And yes, there is a pun intended, and we are doing today, we're we're naming the episode, You Light Up My Life. I love that song by Debbie Boone, you light, sorry, Smart City, Smart Lighting, and it's part four. I have back with me, I'm very privileged to welcome back the three very smart people who are lighting experts, city experts from parts one, two, and three. What do you think of that? Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. First up, I'm welcoming back Suzanne Seitinger, Public Sector Marketing Lead for Philips Lighting in the U.S. Joining her again on the panel, David Graham. He and I have no relationship other than we're on the same radio show, Graham Graham, Deputy Chief Operating Officer for Neighborhood Services for the City of San Diego. And rounding out the panel is our good friend and the sponsor of our Smart City series, Marlon Zelkowitz, Director of Future Cities and Internet of Things, and got to think those two things go together, SAP Public Sector Industry. So welcome back, our panelists. Let's start with Suzanne Seitinger. She sent us a quote from somebody named Seymour. I'm going to pronounce it Papert, P-A-P-E-R-T or Papert. Uh, South African-born American mathematician, computer scientist, and educator spent most of his career teaching and researching at MIT. And here's the biggie. He was one of the pioneers of artificial intelligence. I thought that was very interesting. He actually was made the co-director of the MIT Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and served there from 1967 to 1981. And here is the quote. You can't think seriously about thinking without thinking about thinking about something. Suzanne, welcome. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. It's nice to be back. We're delighted to have you talk to me about this quote. Did I pronounce his name right? It's Seymour Papert. Papert, okay. Close. Go ahead. Well, you know, when I was thinking about getting ready for the show and I was pondering, uh, you know, how we become aware of new things, that's really what, what got me connected with this quote. Now, he is an iconic figure in education. He's an iconic mm-hmm. figure in computer science. He's really shaped 
sort of how learning happens in, 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 in innovative educational environments these days because of his ideas around the fact that in order to really come up with theories about the world, you have to construct it. You have to actually invent it. You have to create it for yourself. And I thought that went along really well with your show and the kind of sentiment you're trying to uh, portray as you're talking about all of these game-changing things, because you can't think about them if you can't conceptualize them and if you can't kind of get into them, you know? I, I'm a pretty practical person, and I think it's really about... <clears throat> getting your hands dirty with stuff in order to figure out what its potential is rather than thinking about these things in an abstract way. And a lot of what uh, Seymour Papert embodied was this ability to really dig in and to create things from your own, you know, internal, you know, drive, your own ability to see new combinations of things. And as we figure out what technology means for us in this world, I think it's a really good time to go back to the basics and, and think about what's, what's meaningful for us as, as human beings and, and what's get, what gets us excited. And I think it's our ability to invent and to innovate and to construct. And so that's, that's where I um, came away with this quote uh, for, for the show today. Thank you, Suzanne. So thoughtful, and I'm using the word thoughtful and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And I have a question for you before we move on to David. <laughs> exactly. You, 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 sometimes, Suzanne, you sound like you're making up poetry when you speak. It was lovely. I appreciate that. Um, so my question is, who should be doing this thinking? Who should be getting out of ab- abstract thinking and into practical? Who should have, and I think I hear you saying something about a can-do attitude. What do we need to do? How do we get there? What technology? What brain power? What people? What collaboration? How do we put it all together and bake it and come out with something that's really delicious? So is, are we talking about city leaders? Are we talking about residents, business people, visitors, uh, government uh, from afar, maybe competition with other cities? And I know David will talk about that in a few minutes. So who needs to be doing all this thinking, Suzanne? <laughs> well, I think that's the whole point, right? That there, it's a it's a democratic space, right? And okay. so anyone can think and contribute to the broader set of ideas that are driving us forward. And I think what I what I like about it is though that especially when it comes to cities, we're all co constructors all the time. Just by you know being in the streets, by by going to work every day, by choosing your your mode of transportation, by deciding what time of day you want to be outside, by deciding whether or not you want to you know contribute an idea to uh, a campaign or or a project in your neighborhood, you are co-constructing, you are thinking about thinking about something. You're actually Mm -hmm. trying to invent a better city for yourself. And uh, as a result, you're connecting dots. So, you know, if you're, for example, um, you know, the new urban mechanics in Boston, thinking about how um, school uh, bus routes are, are communicated to parents, you know, you, you are suddenly changing how uh, those parents are thinking about their kids' school route. You're making it visual. You're giving them more stuff to work with. And so everyone is contributing to that all the time. And I think that's the kind of mindset that will, you know, that really is what makes, you know, humanity um, move forward and, and progress. It's that ability to, to see new possibilities by by sharing these ideas and, and technology accelerates that in, in unexpected ways. And that's why uh, it's such a nice opportunity to, to harness. Thank you, Suzanne. Very well put. 
David Graham waiting patiently, City of San Diego. I know he's been very, very busy. Has sent us a quote from George Carlin. George, Dennis, Patrick, Carlin, 1937 to 2008. American stand-up comedian, author, actor, social critic, especially a social critic. I don't know if you know this, David, but in April 2004, George Carlin placed second on the Comedy Central list of top 10 comedians of U.S. audiences. And I don't know if you know this. I found this out. He hosted the first episode of Saturday Night Live in 1975. Many of our listeners may know him for his comedy routine called Seven Dirty Words, uh, which was central to a 1978 U.S. Supreme Court case. We'll leave that one alone on the government's power to regulate indecent material. Who decides if it's indecent on the public airwaves? Here's the quote. I had no idea he could be so uh, literal and so literary and so focused. David, here's the quote. Electricity is really just organized lightning. David Graham, how have you been? Fantastic. And uh, <clears throat> I did know those things about George Car- uh, Carlin. He's, in fact, also considered the dean of uh, counterculture comedians, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, especially the reason why I picked him. Who would have ever thought that uh, George Carlin would care about things like electricity? Um, because he uh, really sort of embodies that challenge to the status quo, the challenge to um, to existing structures, and I think in many ways um, was an innovator whose uh, ramifications and the things that he did went far beyond just making people laugh. So talk to me about this quote. The, I had to read it three times, David, to get the word lightning instead of lighting, and once I got it, I was LOLing, laughing out loud. Electricity is really just organized lightning. Tell me what that means for our topic, smart cities, smart lighting. So uh, you think about these these natural phenomenons that are huge and impactful and have wowed you know civilization for forever, right? Um, even today, in a, a major thunderstorm, which we get rarely here in San Diego, but uh, today is one of those days. Um, we're fascinated by it. It's beautiful. Uh, but then you look at that exact same thing um, when you walk into a room and flip a light switch. We think of it as mundane. It's normal. It's something that just should happen. And I think that is the, the perfect setup for the discussion we're having today. How do you take these awe-inspiring things that have become mundane and really reinvent them so that you can capture the imagination of the public, of people, and see the true innovation that, ex- that, that lives inside of it. And one of the things that <clears throat> Carlin has always been so, so great at doing is, is challenging the preconceived notions, the, the structures, the, the situations. I mean, Rolling Stone called him the second greatest comedian of all time behind Richard Pryor. But you mentioned mm-hmm. that, that Supreme Court case. Who would have ever yes. thought that a comedy routine would lead to a landmark case on, on free speech? And I think what we're doing here in the discussion we're having today is how do we take uh, the, the work that each of us are doing um, and do things that are fascinating, amazing, at, and at the same time um, transforming people's lives in, in simple ways just like electricity has done. Thank you, David. You are certainly full of uh, factoids about about uh, George Carlin. I have one more. Did you know that he was posthumously awarded the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor in 2008? 
You know, I'm aiming to get one of those myself, and maybe this <laughs> radio show will help me get Well, there. with a wonderful radio voice like you have, you I don't know whether it's funny or not, but you, you may be in line for some kind of Mark Twain prize. We'll have to find one for you. Thank you, David. And now waiting patiently in the wings, Marlon Zelkowitz, my colleague at SAP, with a beautiful quote from Father James Keller, who has two letters after his name, M.M., Roman Catholic priest in the Mary Knoll Order. He founded the Christophers, a Christian inspirational group that broadcast a weekly inspirational TV show on ABC, and in 1951, he he, uh, starred in the documentary, You Can Change the World, based on his teachings, and he hosted a TV show called Christopher Close-Up in the 50s and 60s, and here's the quote, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Beautiful quote, Marlon. How have you been? Terrific. Delighted to be here today. Yep. I'm delighted too, and I I could visualize these candles, and it's so true, Marlon. It's it's just a fact of life. A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Different from a match or a, or an automatic lighter. So, talk to me about this quote. How is it related to our really exciting topic today? Well, you know, back in the day, historically, candles were actually used to read for and used as a major source of lighting. And if you think about how technology has changed, and you know, what is that? What is it, just being able to have a candle do? Well, Abraham Lincoln was able to study it by candlelight in his mm-hmm. log cabin. We've come such a long way from that. But the concept embodied in this, in this idea that a candle loses nothing by sharing its light with another candle, to me, embraces the importance of community. And community is so important in smart cities. I was in Toronto last week at a Smart Cities Forum, and I was listening to the city of Mississauga describe their Smart Cities proposal. And the concept of community and digital equity and sharing with others was at the heart of their proposal. And how do we, how do we take these kinds of ideas of whether it's through lighting or others and make sure that the whole community benefits from that and not just one neighborhood or one, one part of a community? And how do, we, how do we use technology to improve people's lives? And as David said, to transform people's lives. So that's kind of where my head was at with this quote. It's beautiful. I I love the quote. I love all three quotes, actually. I think we're waxing very poetic here, except maybe for the George Carlin quote, which is really, really cool. Let's go around the table and find out if if you're uh, in a place with good lighting right now. Suzanne Seitinger, love to know where you are. And what's your favorite drink? I know you've had to come up with so many of these drinks for me. You've been on so many shows with us. But what's your favorite drink of the whole world that powers that lovely smile in your PR photo? Suzanne? Wow, my favorite drink in the whole world would have to be, I was actually going to give you what I'm drinking here today, which is a really odd drink, which I would usually never drink, which is is chocolate macadamia coffee. But I am in our Somerset, New Jersey, uh, Phillips Lighting headquarters, and um, someone had brewed a pot of chocolate macadamia coffee. And since I've been up since pretty early this morning, uh, that seemed attractive, so I, I am testing it as we speak, um, and and it's not bad. It's like a dessert. It's like a liquid dessert. So, so that's powering me uh, through our show today. Um, Nothing I think my wrong favorite with drink that. In the world, yeah, um, would would have to be uh, really really dark hot chocolate. Um, that's basically almost like a melted <laughs> a melted chocolate bar. So I think if I had to uh, pick, it would be that. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's what I've got for you today when it comes to drinks. And, um, and the lighting here is pretty cool because I am looking 
at one of our light sculptures in our building, and I am watching uh, the lights dance. So it's good inspiration for, for today. Very nice, and Suzanne, you brought to mind a memory from a couple of years ago. I'm now in Durham, North Carolina, but my daughter had lived, she's in Durham as well, but she had lived in Asheville when she first moved to the state a few years ago. I visited her several times, and I went to something called the French Broad, and there's a river called the French Broad. It's not a girl, it's a river. French Broad Chocolate Lounge. Have you ever heard of it, Suzanne? Ooh, no, but it sounds like I have to go there. You do, and the reason is that they it's a spectacular, the line's out the door on a Saturday night. Sometimes they have a musician, and they give you a, a, a number or a tag or a name or something, and you put it on your table, and they wander around with your order and find you on two floors, mismatched tables and chairs. Funky is all get out. Just a, a beautiful place. The chocolate selection, you can't even imagine the difficulty in picking when you finally get up to the, the showcase there. Chocolate bars and pastries. But, Suzanne, not in your honor, but it could be if you go there. They have melted chocolate truffles in a like a demi-tasse cup they literally <laughs> melt the chocolate <laughs> into and you eat it with a spoon and it's hot and it's pure truffles unbelievable that's my that's my advertisement for french broad chocolate lounge you have to go there suzanne thank you very much while i get myself out of this chocolate heaven idea here david graham and san diego I'm going to ask where you are just because I always do, David. I think I know. Uh, if you want to tell us what part of the city you're in, that would be fun. And what do you love to drink, David? You know, I'm in beautiful downtown San Diego. And for the first time in a long time, it is cloudy. And uh, it appears to be this water stuff coming out of the air. I think they call it rain. Not really used to it here in San Diego. So <laughs> perhaps some of you uh, in, huh? <laughs> in other locations may help me uh, manage and cope with it. Uh, I am drinking Synergy's Organic Kombucha this morning, the Trilogy um, version, and uh, fantastic effervescent sparkly drink that gets me uh, going for the day of long hearings with the city council. So uh, this is the best way to kick off a cold and gray morning. There you go. Thank you very much. And Marlon Zalkowitz, I know you travel all over the world in your job and in your pursuit of what's turning smart cities into even smarter cities these days. So where are you today, Marlon? And what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Well, I'm in Washington, D.C. today, and I think we have San Diego's weather somehow. It's beautiful. The skies are blue, and it's warm. And I have to say my favorite drink in the whole wide world is tea. And I, I like a vanilla tea. I like it to be strong and have it with milk and sugar. That's my favorite. It's not what I'm drinking today, though. It's quite warm here, so I think we're going to have our first 90-degree day here. And so I'm having a, a pample mousse sparkling water. But on that topic of chocolate, you know, you just r gave me an idea, Suzanne, that I'll have to have to give you some uh, homemade chocolate rum balls for Christmas when I uh, when we connect later this year, because I think you'd be a fan. <laughs> and Marlon, I think pamplemousse is a French word. If I'm not if I'm incorrect, tell me for grapefruit. It, it came back from my French vocabulary. Am I right? Absolutely. There you go. P-A-M-P-L-E-M-O-U-S-S-E. Look it up, everyone. There you go. Thank you, Marlon. Glad you're in D.C. I think you and I share the same weather system. We hit, started off in the low 40s yesterday morning here in Durham. I think we ended up in the mid-80s, and we're probably going to be in high 80s as well today. Uh, I'm not drinking my usual cold, cool 
glass of water. I'm actually drinking mint tea with a side of honey straight from the bottle to get rid of my sore throat, which is a little bit annoying, but we're here. And you can hear me and I can hear you, and that's the most important thing. If you're just tuning in, we've taken a topic from our Smart City series, and that's probably a nice alliteration, Smart City series, even though the city starts with a C, but we'll go for it, and brought it here to Coffee Break. You light up my life, Smart City, Smart Lighting. My three very special guests are all experts in this field. Suzanne Seitinger, Public Sector Marketing Lead for Philips Lighting in the U.S., David Graham, Deputy COO, Chief Operating Officer for Neighborhood Services for the City of San Diego, and Marlon Zelkowitz, Director of Future Cities and IOT, that's Internet of Things, SAP Public Sector Industry. I'm Bonnie DeGram. We're going to take a quick and well-deserved break, 90 seconds. You can count them along with us. We'll be right back with a deep dive into this topic. What's going on with ideas for smart cities for the lighting? You light up my life. Is your city doing that well enough, beautifully enough? Is it helping commerce? Is it helping residents, tourism, everything and anything? Lighting may be the core to a really true Lee Smart City. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. We are here talking about smart city, smart lighting. And I have another quote that Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting USA sent me for the show. We didn't use it as the opening quote because it was on the topic, not inspirational, but it's very inspirational for what we want to talk about today. So let me read the quote, Suzanne. I found it. It's from Anthony Fox, former U.S. Secretary of Transportation. This will start a very provocative roundtable. He says, whether you live in a city or a small town and whether you drive a car, take the bus or ride a train, at some point in the day, Everyone is a pedestrian. Suzanne, this is so amazingly true, and it's so basic, and it's like right in front of our faces. It kind of hits you. Yes, we are. So talk to me about how that relates to our topic today of smart cities, smart lighting. Go ahead, Suzanne. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, I mean, you're so right, because even if it's just about walking from your car to, you know, the entrance of your building, you are out there, you're walking around, and you are, you know, out in public space. And the reason why this quote is so important to me at the moment and why it relates to what we're talking about today is is another little um, uh, factoid that the New York Department of Transportation found that nearly three out of four pedestrian fatalities happen at nighttime. So that means 75% of pedestrian deaths or crashes take place at night. Now, you know, that really should just let that let that sink in and think about what that means in terms of the lit environment, the city environment, and people's ability to feel comfortable and feel safe and, you know, perceive the ability to navigate, um, you know, comfortably through city streets. Now, lighting by itself is, is a big, could be a big contributor to changing that uh, and reversing that statistic. And the ability to do smart lighting could do even more to change that statistic and to really impact how people uh, move around at night, how they decide to use public spaces, and then how their uh, safety actually is impacted as a result of smart infrastructure choices. So, you know, I think that's what we always want to come back to in this whole conversation is what outcomes can we drive by implementing these technologies? It's really about giving people new services, better services, better ability to um, live and use their cities. So that's where I want to take this conversation. Thank you, you know, very a, much, Suzanne. David, go ahead. You're up next. Go ahead. Talk yeah, to just such an interesting point, and I think absolutely on point. Um, we've long known that lighting itself uh, has a, a, a beneficial impact on public safety. Um, you know, in the dark is where bad things happen. When there's light, um, it, it deters that. And you wouldn't think that something so simple could have such an impact, but it's like the broken window theory, right? Lighting is that very same thing. In today's um, technological um, opportunities, you now have the ability to go so much further than just the safety that the light provides. You're able to illuminate um, decision makers, uh, public safety officials, uh, figure out things like where your you know, most um, dangerous intersections are. We just had with our smart streetlights with uh, enhanced sensors, um, some software developers come up with the digital cane application, which for those who are sight impaired, when they approach mm-hmm. a intersection, it can tell them um, when it's safe to cross. So just like when you go to certain controlled intersections where uh, it says cross now, cross now, um, 
in those uncontrolled intersections, there's an application for your phone that can tell you um, whether cars are approaching or not and, and make it much more safe. You think about that these things, because of the sensors that are now put into streetlights, one, what is being pushed out of the streetlight, the light itself can make places safer, but what is being illuminated from the streetlight being able to sense what's around it can enable those you know, with, with disabilities to now be far safer than ever before. And I, I'm just fascinated by the fact that um, this isn't just your traditional lighting up an intersection or lighting up a, a, a street area. Um, it actually can illuminate people to make uh, them make decisions that are safer, better, and, and more protected. Thank you. We're going to get in a few minutes. I want Marlon to comment on this Anthony Fox quote, but also we'll get into a little bit of the cultural aspects I'd like to of what lighting does for, for our mood, for our sense of uh, cohesiveness as a society and, and that, that kind of thing. Marlon, talk to me about the Anthony Fox quote. What do you think? Well, I, I think pedestrians are an important part of the city, and sure, we all are pedestrians, but I'm seeing also in our cities today, here in, in Washington especially, and I think in San Diego I saw this too, I'm seeing all these scooters and bikes and and uh, some segways, and I know some cities are also testing autonomous vehicles. And I'm thinking lights certainly help make them be more visible, but they also, you know, we also have to think about where these are and how these are important to the, the smart city and, you know, giving people more ways to get around, sure, but we also have to then adapt our, our, the way we're interacting, both in terms of, you know, the lights we need to be watching more for different kinds of vehicles and people, and not just people on, on foot, but people on a scooter who might be going a lot faster than, than a person on foot and who might not be wearing a helmet. And if uh, a crash were to happen, it would be certainly much less safe. So how do, we, how do we use the lighting and make sure the lighting is also detecting all these new things that we're seeing on the street and, and helping us to have a safer community? Thank you. I, I'm recalling I was in New York for the weekend, a very, very uh, whirlwind trip. I had a conference to attend in, in uh, Midtown, and I noticed that some of the streetlights, some of the corners in Mid Midtown had a number of seconds flashing boldly, how many seconds you had to finish crossing the street which is always interesting when you're in front of Penn Station trying to cross 7th Avenue to get across to get along a railroad train that might be leaving in three and a half minutes and you're looking at 100 taxis facing you whatever color the taxis are and they're ready to like racehorses hit, hit the accelerator and you've got three seconds to cross the street and of course you make a run for it. My question is, does it ever keep that? David, maybe you can answer this. Does that type of lighting, I'll call it safety lighting or pedestrian awareness lighting, does that type of lighting ever keep the light red for the oncoming traffic if there's still a pedestrian in the street when the number of seconds runs out. Do you know about that? Yeah, absolutely. So you would think that that's a simple solution. Um, yeah. And, but for the first time, we actually do have the ability to begin to tie in those what we call adaptive traffic signals that use uh, high-definition cameras to sense um, vehicles. We're now just on the precipice of being able to tie that into the sensing in streetlights and do exactly what you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Very few people know, but you know, most traffic signals are still on the same sort of timing that you have had for, you know, for decades. Um, 
<clears throat> and with the opportunities around sensors, you do have now the ability to uh, keep a, a light red um, when somebody is in that the, the crosswalk. And I think we're all excited about what opportunities there are not just for things like traffic congestion management, but we're talking about people's lives and yes. making them safer. Thank you. Thank you for I, that. I totally Go agree ahead, with that um, mm-hmm. because it, it really, it's really about these um, situations that were hard to capture before because all of this is happening in such a split second. And in a lot of the time, it's also what are often referred to as near crashes that are, are that you know, it's, it's you, Bonnie, in those last three seconds mm-hmm. running across the yeah. intersection, and you maybe just make it, but the next person might actually not be quick enough. And then, you know, you don't have a lot of data as a result because, thankfully, it doesn't happen all the time, so it's hard to actually anticipate uh, where these things will happen. So gathering more data in a continuous way, say from these uh, sensors that, that we were just talking about, then would give you the ability to actually monitor over time how to better mitigate uh, the potential um, concerns because you're actually figuring out, oh, someone almost got hit. Um, and that's yes. something that's really difficult to track if you're not actually standing there observing it, which, of course, we can't be all over the place uh, at night uh, watching all of our intersections. That's right. And I'm thinking in Manhattan, especially the, I'll call it um, mixed population, <coughs> excuse me, the, the ages, the abilities and disabilities, people who do and don't speak and read English being there in a city that is mostly English-speaking signs. Marlon, while I go on mute and cough, I'd like you to comment you know, on the streetlight. Uh, go ahead. You know, I saw something similar in Washington recently in my neighborhood. An older man with a nurse or a, a medical assistant was trying to cross Connecticut Avenue, which is six lanes of traffic during rush hour. And it was still light, thank goodness, because he wasn't able to move fast enough to cross all those lanes of traffic. And if there had been an adaptive street light, it could, or traffic light, it could have sensed that he was in the crosswalk and held that light red a little bit longer. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't get all the way across the street, but the very conscientious citizens who were driving down the street waited for him and his assistant to get across the street safely before going. Even though Washingtonians are usually type A and in a hurry, they were very kind to this man in rush hour. And I, I, so it's spot on with your point. Thank you. Good, good. I'm glad I brought that one up. I'm going to move on to some comments here in David Graham's list of notes to me. David, you sent me some new notes for this particular topic. Uh, Let's go to a phrase, good things come to those who wait. I think it's a paraphrase. You say, well, good things come to those who wait. May have been a clever ad campaign for ketchup. Okay, I'm thinking Carly Simon anticipation, perhaps. It doesn't hold true in the world of innovation. Let's talk about that, David. In hackathons, pilots, challenge-based uh, procurement, uh, you say now is the time to effectuate change. So going back perhaps to my opening question to Suzanne, who's, whose job is it to do the thinking and the push for innovation, David? Well, what we see is being demanded of us, and it's cities, it's our vendor partners, it's our nonprofit organizations, is something that you've never seen before. You think about the smartphone only being approximately 10 years old and how that has totally transformed the way we travel, the way we bank, the way we um, exist, frankly. Mm-hmm. And that, that quality of service, the kind of at-your-fingertips and on-demand nature, I don't know how many of you are binge watchers of things like uh, streaming video on Netflix or Amazon Prime. But these mm-hmm. days, I, 
I don't have patience for commercials on my shows, and I rarely want to wait a week for the next episode to come out. That That's the new normal for, I think, many of the people in our society, and definitely for a younger generation. And if we as, as cities are not um, approaching this from a very agile perspective and meeting those demands, then frankly, um, folks are going to decide to go someplace else. They're going to go to a more convenient city, one that um, is more responsive to their needs. And I think that's why, um, though I love the idea of you know, mindfulness and, and wait, waiting and, and mm-hmm. wondering and contemplation, um, there's an imperative that sits in front of us today that says we have to do more, we have to do it quicker, um, or else we'll be left in the dust. David, do you think this comes, uh, the, the impetus to do it quicker, do you think this comes from visitors, uh, maybe feedback forms to the city, uh, maybe Yelp? I don't know if people do Yelp comments for, for city visits. I don't know if that, if that happens for San Diego. But do you think it comes from outsiders who say, wait a minute, I've just, I'm thinking of Marlin traveling all over the world. I've just visited these three cities. The lighting was great. There was ultimate care for citizen safety and for collaboration. And I went to your city and what? I mean, how far behind are you? Uh, could it come from outsiders or is it going to have to come from citizen groups, David? Where's the core of that impetus to effectuate change, as you so beautifully put? So the problem solving comes from internal, and I think it comes from being open with our communities and with our community organizations on collective problem solving. But you're absolutely right. It also comes from outside. It comes mm-hmm. from those that visit a city, that experience it. And, and frankly, these days, with the ease of travel and the cost of travel, have many different decisions that they can make as to where they want to go. And San Diego is a heavy uh tourism city. We have a lot of attractions here and a lot of reasons why you'd come visit uh, our city. Um, but there's many other cities that you could go to. And it's, it's two parts. It's one for the casual visitor, but two, it's for the people that come here. They see the lovely mm-hmm. environment. They experience the city and say, oh, well, this is a place that I actually want to live. And those talented people are the ones that are powering our economy, that are creating new startups, that are um, the generation of, of talent that we're trying to attract to our city um, that are really actually coming up with some of the same solutions that we're talking talking about here around lighting and innovation and and powering the things that are going to create those cities of the future. And if we are stuck in the old way of doing things and we're not agile in attempting to address, you know, those folks' needs, they're going to go someplace else. Thank you, Marlon. Well, and a traveler, go ahead. Bonnie, Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, uh, on some of this, you know, being really driven by um, community members and Outsiders Together is uh, the San Francisco Bay Lights Project, which was uh, a project implemented to commemorate the anniversary of the bridge. And it was implemented by an artist. It was conceived by Leo Varial. It's, it's thousands of lights on the side of the bridge. It was meant as a temporary installation. Uh, and when it was taken down, there was such an outcry that people wanted it back because it be, had become, you know, I'm reading, you know, I was just looking up some tweets, you know, people saying the jewels of the city, you know, the, uh, I, I, I want it back, you know, all these really, you know, expressive opinions about how folks wanted their, their city to look and how outsiders then also communicated that city back to the folks 
at home. You know, they, they took pictures and they shared those. And so the image lives on and, you know, lighting and nighttime is, is more iconic in some ways and, and captures the imagination that way. So I, I really think it is that inside and outside kind of communicating about what a place means to people. Thank you, Suzanne. Marlon, got to get you in on this one. What do you think? Oh, I think that there's so much to be said. The romance of the skyline. How many times have you sent a postcard of a city skyline? Usually it's the nighttime view that you, that you send. We send daytime pictures of mountains and countryside, but we send the nighttime views of the city because that's where it really sparkles and dazzles. Thank you very much. Uh, David, anything you want to wrap up on this one before I move on to something from Suzanne? I'm sorry, from Marlon's notes? I would just say that we all have to lean into this together and figure out what the, the clear goals are because the technology exists to do just about anything. Um, the, we have boundless creativity in our uh, people, and if we can harness that and combine that with the technological solutions that exist today, we truly can create brilliant communities. Thank you very much with brilliant lighting. Uh, it was very interesting, David. I just did a search for uh, best lighting or lighting in San Diego, and, and I found a list of, quote-unquote, the best lighting, and I thought I was going to find a company called Best Lighting, and there wasn't one. I thought that would have been really creative for a lighting store to call themselves Best Lighting of San Diego. There's a name somebody needs to take, right, David? On it. <clears throat> Not there you go. There you go. Who knew what Yelp that Yelp could be so instructive without reading the comments? Marlon, I started the show today talking about a quote from LA, uh, quoted from CNN Money in a Nasdaq article about replacing the LA streetlights with remote monitoring and smart controls, saving $8 million a year by switching to energy efficient LED bulbs. And I notice here in your notes, you have a comment here. You say energy savings from smart lighting range from 40 to 93% energy savings ranging from simple light replacement with LEDs to adaptive LED to brand new construction. Marlon, let, let's visit this because it really comes down to economics in many cases, doesn't it? All the great ideas, all the meetings, all the city councils, all the, the, uh, the, the brainstorming groups or whatever we want to call them, the design thinking groups, it really comes down to money. So how can cities save money with the lighting they have to move into better lighting in the future? Marlon, can we talk economics here? Yeah, absolutely. So the economics are not just in the savings. You have savings in the lighting from, from multiple sources. One, it's because uh, if you, you're moving, say, from sodium lights to LEDs, they're going to last significantly longer, and that longer lasting means you, you've spread your investment out over more years. Another factor is if you have controls and they're adaptive, you can adjust the lights so you can actually lengthen the, the life of that of your streetlights to be longer. So, for example, um, think about neighborhoods that are maybe highly commercial, right, Um, an office Mm -hmm. park. And everybody leaves the office by, say, 7 o'clock in the evening or 8 o'clock in the evening, and the lights are still super bright. Well, if if you have some kind of a motion detector or an ability to adapt, you can say, oh, there's nobody here. We can turn the lights down. We don't need to be we don't need to be spending that extra resource in this part of the part of the city uh, right now. Or you can brighten the lights when you're having an event, for example, a uh, mm-hmm. National Hockey League final, uh, Stanley Cup finals, and you've got a, a 
people are coming to the stadium and you want to have that part more brightly lit when, especially when people are leaving the stadium and driving home or taking uh, taxis or Ubers or Lyfts or whatever, or scooters or whatever they're getting home. So there's that piece. Also, over time, you can begin to gather the use the data from your smart lightings and you your smart light and you can collect that data and and monitor and begin to predict the performance of your different lights and areas based on time series and other forms of data so you can wow that you can identify when your lights are more likely to be fail to be failing you can you know, automate the whole end-to-end process of that for, for managing your light and generate tremendous savings by positioning resources where you need them when you need them. So this is all about savings. And we haven't even begun to touch on the topic of energy efficiency, which I know sustainability is a is top of mind in many of the major cities such as San Diego and, and other uh, members of the C40 uh, around the world. So just if we could go in so many different directions, I would welcome some uh, invitation, inviting you know, Suzanne and, and David to comment on this because otherwise I'll just go on forever and bore everybody to tears. <laughs> oh, we no, we're we're fine. We're this is a roundtable. Thank you very much, Suzanne Seitenger, Phillips. Talk to us. Um, well, there's two there's two things though, Marlon, that that come to mind based on what you just talked about. The one that I wanted to touch on first was some of the work that um, Mayor Pugh in Baltimore is doing, where she's really looking at her data, her city stat 311 data, and using the the public safety data there to decide how to deploy her smart lights. And she's doing it together with her utility partners and her uh, chief of police. And she's really articulate about how she's taking the conversation out into the street. So they're really looking at specific corner intersections, locations where they want to increase and enhance the lighting based on some of the data that they already have and some of the data that they're collecting as they're going forward. And I, I really think it's 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 um, a, such a holistic and integrated approach because the public safety folks wouldn't really normally think to want to control the lighting. But for them, if they can increase the lighting in a particular zone when they need it, that could be really helpful for them as they're out doing, doing their work work and, and then they need to do that simply and easily and not have to deal with uh, a whole bunch of other complex uh, systems. So that Well, and let's not forget your that you're, oh, sorry, that you're, you're carrying around in your pocket one of the most powerful sensors well, in the entire world right? in your yeah. smartphone, right? Um, and one of the most powerful computers. So what we've done in San Diego is we have this thing called the Get It Done app where citizens just walk around and you can take a picture of, let's say, graffiti or something in the road, um, anything that's bugging you uh, that you think needs to be fixed, take a picture on your smartphone. It immediately gets routed to the department that, that can fix that. This is an amazing way of really sort of crowdsourcing solutions by taking existing technology and just by connecting it with the right people and right departments, you can have very quick responses to, to problems that are out there. Imagine what it would take if I needed to deploy an army of city workers to go do that exact same thing. It'd be extremely cost prohibitive. And, and the platforms around communications technology and smartphones now can make many of these solutions that were prohibitive in the past possible. Can I just jump in on that, David? You're right. I I wanted to say that's your citizens of sensors is exactly you know is exactly where one of our customers around the world. I won't tell you where they had to do that, and they they needed an app 
or away, and, and they're viewing it through also through Facebook and through other social media where citizens sees a problem, they tag it, and they route it through to through their 311 system, open up a service ticket, and then when it's done, they, they actually um, get an email or a notification back that, you know, thanks for notifying us, your work has been done. But even un- worse than that is why they had to turn the citizens into censors. It's an interesting story. So they were trying to actually put censors in, into the trash ban- bins. And the heavily unionized workforce, which has the trash bins, uh, thought that the government was trying to spy on the workers and was trying to do something not appropriate. So they destroyed the censors. So they had censors in trash bins so they could better optimize their trash collection. And instead, the workers didn't thought they were going to try to eliminate jobs or something. And, wow. and so they said, well, we need to find a better way. So they then made it possible for citizens to report issues, whether it's trash collection or a tree fallen or any other thing, and it actually it actually turned out better. So big, spot big on, brother, the, the suspicion, probably the suspicion of who's watching and who's recording. I have a little sidebar, uh, David. You you mentioned something about well, we're talking about mobilizing citizens. I recently interviewed on my personal radio show, Read My Lips, uh, two inventors named uh, Mickey and I'm trying to find his name, uh, Mickey and Dr. Bert Burke, B U R K E, and they invented an app called Move Over Slow Drivers. And the way it works is they will actually give you a holder to put your your mobile phone on the dashboard or on the windshield of your car. And if you have a an, a really, really, really badly slow driver in the left lane, which is prohibited in most places on most highways, at least it was when I was in New York, uh, there's a way for you to hit a button without having to do anything that would disrupt your driving. And it will report instantly pictures of the license plate, the ongoing speed limit, the traffic flow, the point on the road where this is happening, and report it to a local authority so they can review and see if, in fact, this is a dangerous driver. I know this is not our topic, but it goes to collaboration. It goes to uh, taking technology we already have. David, you want to make a quick comment on that? Do you hate it or love it? Uh, you know, it, it actually gets to something Boston did that I thought was fantastic, which was Boston's safest driver competition. And I'm not the one ah. to say this, but uh, I think Bostonians see themselves as some of the most aggressive and, and difficult drivers through simple cell phone sensing and gamification of this idea mm-hmm. of who can do the be the safest driver. So things like braking, turning, speeding. They had prizes of uh, small amounts, $1,000, $2,000, but they saw not just behavior change in the short term, but over the long term. When people knew what their driving habits and behaviors were doing, um, and when they could compete with other people on being a safer driver, uh, that that uh, demolition derby Bostonian turned into, I guess, maybe a driving Miss Daisy. Uh, it was fascinating. <laughs> it all came down to simple data and helping people understand their behaviors and how they can change them. There you go, mobilizing everybody. We are technically in the roundtable part of the show called Crystal Ball Predictions. So I'd like each of you, we'll start with Suzanne. I can give you each 90 seconds. We're inching down towards 60 the more I talk. But I'd like you to talk about the idea of the culture of lighting as well as the future of lighting. I have your predictions from part three. I recorded them here. Suzanne predicted connected street lighting is the killer app for IoT, Internet of Things. David predicted connected lighting will create more convenient cities. And Marlon predicted smart lighting lighting will come to college campuses and military facilities. So I'm looking for a different prediction from each of you. Suzanne, let's give you 60 seconds. Take them. Go ahead. I I think what's going to happen is that 
we're going to continue to see this rapid rise in urbanization and we're going to see more festivals arise in cities, more temporary urbanism, and lighting is going to be a key part of that. I recently rode around in Baltimore on a bunch of pedicabs that were outfitted by a Chinese artist with these beautiful uh, handmade LED lanterns that were all symbols of different cultures. And they, they, this poor uh, uh, startup, uh, well, actually he was doing it of his own accord, but he was basically giving back to the community. He was peddling us around, telling us about his biotech startup and, and enjoying the light festival, which was this huge um, temporary, you know, urban event that drew thousands and thousands of people down to the core uh, of the city, to the harbor. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that and we should continue to um, do that and celebrate together because it, it, this is how light brings people together uh, around the campfire in a way. And, and I want our cities to, to stay that way and to have those kinds of, of places where people come together. Thank you. Lovely thought. David Graham, predict the future in terms of lighting San Diego or anywhere else you want to talk about. Smart and connected lighting that includes sensors is going to, I think, in five to ten years, help cities achieve something that we all see as a goal, but I think very few people think is achievable, which are zero pedestrian deaths in our intersections and crossing our streets. It is possible by both informing the person crossing, the pedestrian, and informing the vehicle, and I think that can be done my hope is in the next five years. And it, although we, we think about trying to move from uh, automobiles to other types of transportation, you know, dockless bikes and mass transit and pedestrian and walking, that exact same technology will help vehicles move through our roads quicker, safer, and with less traffic without building a single new lane, without putting down a single new strip of asphalt. Both those things, both for pedestrians and for drivers, is achievable, I think, in the next five years. Well, that would certainly be nice. That's very optimistic. Appreciate that, David. Marlon Zelkowitz, I saved uh, 60. Let's give you 75 seconds, Marlon. Go ahead. Well, I think smart lighting, because smart lighting, the lights themselves are often houses for We've heard video cameras and other devices also improving the digital coverage in a city uh, by boosting cell phone signals or making the coverage more available. It's going to help bridge the digital divide and help people have better access to the Internet and to all sorts of digital tools in all sorts of neighborhoods that have been underserved in the past. And I think that's going to improve, reduce some of the inequality that we see today. There's other other efforts that will also be required, and I think we, we see that today with the growing importance of libraries for digital, but I think it's going to improve the sense of community and, and, and become somewhat of an equalizer in cities. Thank you very much. Quick, another sidebar before we finish. I live in a uh, community here in Durham, and I bought a piece of property, a home, on a pond. It's a retention pond, but it has all kinds of wildlife. It's beautiful. But the feature, why I and the others paid a very nice premium to live here, is because we have a fountain in the middle of the pond. And the fountain has several tubes, and it shoots up maybe 15, 20 feet high with a beautiful set of sprays. And at night, there's a ring of lights that lights it up at night. So recently it's gone from crimson to fuchsia to an orange to a yellow gold to a white. The fountain has been off 
on and off five times in the past 12 days. We are constantly lighting, sending maintenance reports to the HOA, Homeowners Association, to fix it. Now, part of the problem is not that it's so completely dark in our backyards at night without the light, but we call it, David, it's a quality of life. It's a beautiful thing. It's something we value, and we can't seem to make them understand. It's not just a question of having the fountain on all day and hearing the wonderful sound of that gushing water. It's the beautiful lighting up at night, and we miss that. So I don't know how to make them aware, but it's just something that's five times in 12 days a little bit too much. So maybe we need a Yelp for this community. I don't know what we need to do. But anyway, just a comment on lighting and culture and feeling of belonging to something special. So I want to say thank you to my three wonderful panelists, Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting USA, David Graham, City of San Diego. Keep those flags waving. Keep those lights on. Marlon Zelkowitz traveling around the world trying to help people understand the meaning and the purpose of smart cities. Shout out to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, the business channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Hope I'm a little less scratchy tomorrow. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt and damn it, put the lights on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Suzanne, just like David, and just like Marlon. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.